We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I am Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, happy homecoming weekend to you. Happy homecoming week. Happy homecoming weekend. I hope no one has blown away yet. It is we're My gosh. Thursday. My parents, Carson, always go up for homecoming weekend. They take the RV up. They drove from Chickasha to Stillwater at like one o'clock this afternoon in this wind. And we're all like, uh, let us know you made it without blowing over. And they did make it. They did not blow over. But I think it turned an hour and 45 minute drive into like a three hour drive because this wind is nasty. It's like gusts of 50 miles an hour. And yeah. it's cold wind, too. It's it's un- yeah. unappealing wind. I mean, not, not that any wind's appealing, but it's a biting wind. And that's that was actually a legitimate dangerous situation for your folks. I'm glad they made it okay, man. That's yeah. By the way, nuts. You, you driving to Tulsa tonight, uh, careful, careful. That north wind's going to be hitting you in the side going and coming, I think. so. Yeah, and I, and I also drove to Lawton earlier this week, I believe on Tuesday, and it was blowing like 30. <laughs> and I thought that was a lot of wind. So tonight will be, uh, will be interesting. So it is homecoming week slash weekend. And, uh, we want to hear from Chris's university spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at Chris university spirit.com. It's going to be a fun weekend in Stillwater. I know everyone's gonna be doing walk arounds and Colby, like the, the fraternity houses, I hadn't like driven through kind of where the walk occurs for, for homecoming in a while until recently I was up in Stillwater a few weeks back it blows me away how big they've built up some of the fraternity houses. Now they've, they've bulldozed a lot of them and rebuilt them. And that's going to make for an even more just extravagant homecoming walk. I mean, these fraternity houses that that build these house decks are, are monstrosities these days. Yeah. I mean, it's insane what they're able to do and the amount of work that they put into it, the all night pomps and stuff that they do. It really is impressive. And it makes homecoming weekend, what homecoming weekend is. Um, I was talking to a couple guys, some OU guys earlier this week that were like, yeah, man, I wish we did it like that. Uh, guys who were saying that even though they're not OSU people, they've been up there just to see the homecoming and see the events. Uh, and this year with homecoming and hoops taking out, taking place outside at one of the frat houses, it's just going to be, it's going to be an absolute madhouse tomorrow night in Stillwater. I, I don't know how many tens of thousands of people show up to this, but it is, I mean, you're packed in there like sardines pretty much all night and it's worth it because it's great. Yeah, that that homecoming and hoops thing is going to be interesting. It's at the Beta House, and I don't remember if they've built a new house or not, but there's not a whole lot of room back there. So it's going to be shoulder to shoulder, I would think, for that event. So that's going to be interesting as well. But uh, I was a Delt at OSU, and we didn't do a house deck per se. We did a float for the parade, and we also had the the carnival there where all the kids could come and, and hang out and go to and ride rides and stuff in the parking lot. But I did have to pump some on the old the old uh, float that we built. But I, I somehow Colby was able to escape a lot of pumping duty. I kind of skirted my my responsibilities there, so I got away without the all night pumping somehow. But uh, nice. it's a uh, it's a fun weekend, and I know you're going up there. I will not be able to be there on Saturday, unfortunately. I have some scheduling conflicts, but hope everyone has a good time at homecoming. And with that in mind, obviously it's going to be a win for Oklahoma State. We think hosting Kansas, 28 point favorites. Before we break down kind of our, our picks for the game and, and how we think, uh, you know, some key key items for that game, Marshall Scott wrote a really good column on um, Pistols Firing Blog. Go check it out. It's the top five homecoming games in Oklahoma State history. And this is a stroll down memory lane. And I guess this is, Colby, this is the 100th edition of America's Greatest Homecoming. So this is the centennial. So it's a, I, it's a, it's a monumental event. I didn't even know that. Somehow, somehow I didn't know that either. Somehow I did not know it was the 100th. So shout out to... Uh, 
to all 99 that have come before. This is a big year, I guess. Yeah, I don't think this one will, will be ranking on the, the top five homecoming games of all time hosting I Kansas. Uh, number one was a, really a stroll down memory lane for you and I. We both were really young when this game occurred. 1997 against Colorado. Oklahoma State won 33-29. to 29. Uh, Colorado started that year ranked eighth in the AP poll after going 10-2. and two. OSU was, was coming off a 5-6 and six year under Bob Simmons, but they were 6-0 and oh coming in this game was Oklahoma State, and it was a thriller. Tony Lindsay fumbled inside the 10-yard line, and kind of the moment everyone remembers, Colby, is the, uh, the touchdown pass to Alonzo Mays. That's a, that's a name from the past, one of the all-time great Cowboys at tight end. So that was kind of how that game ended with uh, OSU winning 33-29. Are you old enough to remember who Alonzo Mays is, Colby? Barely, and I mean barely. And when I say, and when I say, remember who Alonzo Mays is? This is like I've read about Alonzo Mays. I've seen highlights from Alonzo Mays. I would have been five when this game took place, so I would imagine whatever game we had going on behind the bleachers of the West End Zone was just as intriguing, if not more so, than the thirty-three to twenty-nine result on the field. The uh, the bleachers in the West End Zone got some serious games going behind those, but I'm just barely old enough to watch Alonzo Mays highlights and think, yeah, I think I remember seeing that guy play in person just barely. I, this was the first season I remember following kind of closely and, and really knowing what was going on because 97 to me was the first time OSU was kind of a, on the national radars. First time I remember them being ranked in my life. I remember when they had like a 21 next to their name, I was blown away as a little kid, like, Whoa, OSU has got a number next to their name. That was cool. And Alonzo Mays, I remember him. He was a, prototypical like he would have been so good in this day and age of, of NFL football at tight end and college football certainly he was a NFL caliber tight end played in the league for a long time and really he was an all-american type player at OSU which we didn't have many back then and there was another tight end right after him called named Marcellus Rivers and he looked and played almost identical to Alonzo May so it was like we had the same tight end for like eight years at Oklahoma State but that that's a name from the past he played for the Mays played for the uh, Chicago Bears for quite a while. And, and of course, Tony Lindsay, one of the better OSU quarterbacks in, in history. And Colby, following this team, and Marshall kind of details it, there was a couple of heartbreakers after this game. OSU lost to Missouri 51-50 to in double overtime before losing to Texas A&M 28-25 in overtime. They finished 8-4 and and lost to Purdue in the Alamo Bowl. But I, I want to say when they – they lost to Missouri in double OT. It might've been the first year of overtime. I think that was like a new thing back then. That's how old this game or how long ago this game was for, for you, Colby. I, I'm sorry. I was, I was reading up on the, uh, the 2018 game against Texas jogging my memory. Hit me with that one more time. Yeah. OSU lost to Missouri 51 50 in double OT. And I, I believe this was the first year of overtime. If my memory serves me correctly. So it was like double the heartbreak. They lost 51 to 50 and it, we had this new, I remember back, I, I think I can remember watching this game and there was a debate like on how terrible overtime was as a concept or something along those lines because the, them in Missouri went to double OT. I think they lost to uh, to Brad Smith, the old mobile quarterback from oh. Missouri in double OT. Yeah, I do remember Brad Smith. Can you imagine? I mean, obviously we have sports debates all the time, right? Sports landscape's constantly changing. The overtime rules have recently changed. Can you imagine going back to the era where they argued about whether overtime should even exist, not about how to implement it, not about what the best system for overtime is. Should overtime exist or should you just be tied after four quarters? That uh, Those would be wild conversations to have, but I'm sure they were every bit 
as vigorous and passionate as the ones we have now about the overtime rules. Like we saw, uh, who was it, Illinois and Penn State go nine overtimes last week and still didn't get within a touchdown of the point total. Shout out to the Big Ten, by the way. They hit the under with nine overtimes. It was like a Big Ten masterpiece. They needed a touchdown and a field goal, I think, to hit the over in nine overtimes. Yeah, I think they went like five or six straight uh, two-point tries without with none of them converting. That's how they got to nine overtimes. They're so bad on offense, they couldn't convert a two-point conversion. Hard to do. Uh, unbelievable. So that was the number one ranked game for Marshall. Number two, you were just jogging your memory on it, 2018 Texas. We kind of remember this as the, the corn dog to Tylen Wallace game. Cornelius threw for 321 yards, three scores. And that was a year, Colby, where OSU was kind of up and down offensively with Cornelius at quarterback, but they beat Texas, who was ranked in this game. I think they also beat West Virginia, who was ranked, I believe, in the top 10 at the time. So even when Mike Gundy's having kind of a down year, he's able to beat some ranked opponents. And this was a – I think maybe people remember this game more, Colby, for the uh, the scuffle that happened as, as, as Cornelius was trying to take a knee. I think it was – yeah. Brecken Hager came flying in there. Tyron Johnson took him out. And then Mike Gundy and Tom Herman got into it. Oh, see, and the worst thing that happened this night was the officials separating everybody. Carson, this could have been legendary if they would have let it play out. First of all, Brecken Hager is a punk. I don't know what he was thinking. I don't know what he was doing. Good for Tyron Johnson for doing what he did. And also, Tom Herman is a punk. Tom Herman displayed some of this behavior multiple times whenever he was down at Texas. And I love watching this video. Gundy, you know, we, me especially – Look, I'm very critical on Gundy about kicking when he should go for it. Everybody knows that. It's not a secret. It's my pet peeve. But Gundy do, going at it with Tom Herman and then turning around to the crowd and sending both arms up in the air like, like you're halfway through the movie Gladiator and he just escaped the Lions and, and, and made the crowd roar, it's, it is to me an all-time Gundy moment when he turns to the crowd and sticks both arms up in the air and everybody loses their minds. It was... That is what I remember that night for because that was electric. It's the are you not entertained? It, it's turned yeah. into like the best Mike Gundy gift there is. Like I think I used it earlier this year when he went for it on fourth down against Baylor. It's like, oh, you thought I was going to kick a field goal? And then you just post the, the Mike Gundy are you not entertained game uh, gift. So that that was a great game. And, and Tyler Wallace just went all-time, all-time great in that game. And it's certainly one of his – his brighter moments and they were wearing those those nifty 1988 throwbacks too maybe we'll maybe we'll see those for the uh, uniforms this year those were, those were sweet. so good those were so good yeah those were awesome uh, number three is a game i think you've referenced a few times with with brandon Pettigrew. 2007 at home against kansas state they won an absolute thriller 41 to 39 and this was a game that's kind of back and forth this was the ron prince era of kansas state not a great one for for k-state but zach robinson hit brandon Pettigrew. For a 39-yard touchdown with four minutes to play, OSU was up seven at the at that point, and it kind of went back and forth. And ultimately, uh, Jason Ricks kicked the game-winning field goal. That's a name from the past. He and I were, were buds in college, and he kind of lost it as a kicker and, and moved on after this game. That's when Dan Bailey emerged as the kicker for OSU. But Ricks, one of Ricks's last kicks was a game winner against Kansas State on homecoming. I was there in the student section, Colby. Uh, do you remember watching this game at all? Uh, I do. I, I would have been there. Um, yeah, I mean, that was Dez, two touchdowns earlier in the day. How about Jordy Nelson? Jordy Nelson for K-State, a member of this team. Paris Cox with a kickoff return. It's 
I, I get really nostalgic about some of the elite return men from my childhood whenever I was growing up. Darren Williams, obviously, may he rest in peace. Uh, Parrish Cox was a great one. We all know what Tyreek did in his short time in Stillwater. Something about the old kick return, and maybe that's because something that's something that's for the most part, been taken out of the game with rule changes and just other things. It's, it's very rare to see kick returns nowadays. Some of those guys, man, Parrish Cox getting the ball in his hands in the open field. It was scary, and it was fun to watch, and this was a, a great one. Parrish Cox is probably the best kick returner in OSU history, besides Barry Sanders. Ooh. I mean, Barry Sanders doesn't count, right? Uh, Barry Sanders can't count for anything. He's yeah, just he's, he's just, the best. He's, he's number he's the one. At everything. You rank everybody else right behind him. Yeah, Tyreek would be up there uh, as short-lived as his career was. I think Cox probably holds the record for for total kick return yardage and, and touchdowns. But uh, another name from the past, Tommy Devereaux yeah. gave, the, gave the Pokes good field position with a 29-yard kick return uh, to kind of set up uh, that field goal. Tommy D was was well-known on campus. I was in school at, this, at the time, obviously, and Tommy D was a, a flamboyant character and uh, pretty, pretty popular guy on campus. So shout out to Tommy Devereaux. That's another name from the past people uh, that may jog their memories. Yeah, that's uh, a good one. This, this next game's a little, uh, little before our time. Uh, we can't really wax poetic about this one. <laughs> 1976 is the fourth ranked game uh, against Missouri. OSU won 20 to 19. But Colby, my dad and all the old timers will be yelling at their their podcast that they're listening to right now. Terry Miller. We got to give Ter- Terry Miller his kudos. We we didn't rank him high enough uh, on a, a few podcasts uh, long ago. He's one of the all time faves for the old timers, and and he was sensational in this game. And uh, Missouri built a sixteen nothing lead, and Miller brought the pokes all the way back with some some touchdown runs. So he had two hundred and twenty nine yards, Colby. So we, we got to put some respect on on Terry Miller's name. Two twenty nine, three touchdowns, brought him back from a sixteen to nothing lead. Uh, pardon me, I believe he had yeah he had three touchdowns in this game. Uh, so there must have been a mixed extra point in there. And this was an upset. Oklahoma State was number sixteen in the AP poll. Missouri was number ten. So this was an upset. And you know, obviously, nineteen seventy six wasn't there. Don't remember it. Haven't watched it. But I do know that Terry Miller was one of the greats of all time. So uh, yeah, we needed we needed the dads to talk about this one. This was from a different era. Yeah, for sure. Marshall used the uh, AP wire story because Marshall's parents probably wouldn't even had even met yet in 76, hey, as young quite, as he Marshall's is. Marshall's even quite a bit younger than we are. So <laughs> Yeah. So rounding out the list, number five, 2002 against Texas A&M. I do remember this game. OSU won 28 to 23. And it wasn't, you know, just a pair of, you know, top 10 teams or anything of that nature. But uh, Tatum Bell was awesome in this game. 25 carries, 143 yards and three scores. Uh, Tatum Bell... Colby, you know, when we start listing great running backs in OSU lore, he gets kind of lost in the shuffle a bit, but he was a speedster, played in the NFL for a He had a decent career with the Denver Broncos for, yeah. for, for a bit. And he, to me, he's one of the more underrated OSU running backs. Yeah, he could absolutely fly. And, you know, talk about nostalgia from your childhood. He's the first back that I really remember being a, a mega fan of. Whenever I was a kid, I would have been 2002. I would have been 10 for this game against A&M and Tatum Bell. I would think, I don't think that was his first year. I think he'd already rushed for Oklahoma state for one or two years prior to this. Uh, but he was my first guy that I was really 
a big, big fan of. He had a cool name, number one. I mean, Tatum Bell is a really cool name. Strong name. Back. I mean, especially when you can fly. The dude was an absolute speedster, and Tatum Bell is a really strong football name. Uh, also, he wore number seven, which was one of my favorite numbers growing up. I was a big Yvonne Rodriguez fan for the Texas Rangers. He wore number seven. So I, I very much had a, uh, an attachment as an eight, 19-year-old to Tatum Bell. So kind of cool to look back. And like you said, he does deserve more uh, – more lore in Oklahoma State history because he was a really, really good back who went on to be pretty decent in the NFL as well. Yeah, number seven's a sweet, sweet number for for a running back. Gotta love the single digits. And the game ended in dramatic fashion. Uh, AM was throwing into the end zone. It was the ball was tipped, and Vernon Grant, the late great Vernon Grant, caught the ball off the tip, took a knee in the end zone, and gets dogpiled by not only his teammates, but like the the cheerleaders that were right there just started dogpiling as well. And Vernon Grant, to me, you know, such a tragic story, killed in a car accident. He was like the most unequivocal fan favorite. You know, the, the term fan favorite gets thrown a lot, thrown out a lot about players. <clears throat> and he was so awesome just on like the opening kickoff of the game while she was kicking of firing up the crowd. And he, he obviously played safety really well, obviously, too, for Oklahoma State. But he was like the quintessential fan favorite and that was, that was such a tragedy and a lot was missing I think OSU kicked off with 10 men to, to honor him after he passed away yeah. but uh, Vernon Grant one of my all-time favorites I remember I was working at the Daily Oak Collegian in Stillwater as a as a beat reporter for football and Andre Sexton wore number 20 and he, he I did a big story on how much that meant to him and just kind of carrying on the Vernon Grant legacy so I thought that was important to note, just the, the, the memory of Vernon Grant. He was he was sensational and uh, just a, a sad, sad deal, but a lot of fond memories watching him make that interception because Marshall posted the, the video highlights of that game. Yeah, no doubt. Just, I mean, really too many Cowboys we've lost too young. We talked about Darren Williams a second ago, now Vernon Grant. Way, way too many Cowboys we've lost too young. So uh, very sad and, and very cool to go back and watch one of his his best highlights from his career at Oklahoma State. Yep. So that's the, the list. I don't think this year's edition will be making it against Kansas. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, another item of note, Colby, Barry Trammell posted his efficiency ratings that he, that he looked up for offense and defense. Uh, OU's number one on offense with Caleb Williams. Uh, there, there's no surprise there. Iowa State, number two. And uh, we, we got a glimpse of that with how efficient Brock Purdy's been playing this year completing uh, 80% of his passes in about four four games this year for Iowa State. He's been he's been really good. But near the bottom, just ahead of Kansas, their opponent is Oklahoma State. They're, they're ninth in, in offensive efficiency. And Colby, just honestly, that's no surprise. I think they've played better as of late with, with Spencer Sanders at quarterback, with the receiving core kind of coming into its own, with Brennan Presley and Tay Martin making big plays at Iowa State. But – Make no mistake, Colby, they, they have to be better on offense if they're going to have any chance to, to make it to Cherry World, let alone win the Big 12. T-G-F-K, Carson. Thank God for Kansas. Woo, we love us some Kansas Jayhawks. Uh, <laughs> Kansas keeps everybody from being at the absolute bottom, so we appreciate that, Rock Chalk. Um, this offense, Carson, we've talked about it throughout the season. I know last week uh, Gundy talked about, you know, Casey Dunn's doing the best with what he has, and there's been injuries and stuff like that. I don't know, man. There's always injuries. You're always missing guys. Um, the reality is the numbers, all the numbers and the eye test tells you 
this is the most inefficient offense that Oklahoma State has had in at least the last decade, probably closer to the last 14 to 15 years, maybe since Mike Gundy's first year in Stillwater. It's just, it's really tough to argue against those numbers. And I know things haven't been perfect. I know that Shane Illingworth started the first game and, and you were without a bunch of guys. I know that Tay Martin missed a few weeks. I, I know that at Boise, they were totally decimated at receiver. I also know injuries happen all the time. And you look at the offensive uh, metrics, just yards per play, yards per game, all these things, third down conversions, first and second down, early down efficiency. We've talked about a lot this season. All of those metrics are the worst they've been in a long, long time for Oklahoma State. So, you know, they've been doing enough. I do think the offense has been better lately. Spencer Sanders was good last week against Iowa State uh, after having not played well a couple of games in a row. So I, I still don't know what exactly to make of the offense because I do think that they are good enough to win games. But this is not a stereotypical Oklahoma State team that can blow anybody out. And that's why I feel really dicey about Oklahoma State getting to the end of the season with only two losses because, I mean, you've got four games left against TCU, Texas Tech, West Virginia, and Oklahoma, and you can't blow anybody out because this offense isn't built to blow anybody out. So when you're always in close games in the fourth quarter, all it takes is a bad bounce or two to get you beat by a team that should not beat you. I mean, a West Virginia or a TCU or a Tech, those teams shouldn't beat Oklahoma State. But I have every confidence that those games are going to be close in the fourth quarter because this offense is not capable of running away and hiding from a team, and that could end up costing Oklahoma State, and I really hope it doesn't. But this offense, it needs to be better, Carson. We, we've been saying it all season, uh, and there's still a lot of season left. I know it feels like we're coming down to the end. We're seven games into a 12-game season. There's a lot of football left, so hopefully we'll continue to see improvements. Yeah, I do think that's the concern, the close games. And OSU's been remarkably consistently <laughs> inefficient. Uh, their rankings in Big 12 games uh, efficiency-wise on offense, 0 0.292, 0 0.292, 0 0.308, and 0.273. But I will say this. They have played, in my opinion, two of the best defenses they're going to face in Baylor and Iowa State. And that was my concern playing Iowa State is Iowa State's really good against the run. And you saw that with, with Jalen Warren being limited for the first time since he's become the starter. But their, their schedule sets up for the offense to get more efficient. I mean, Texas Tech, Kansas, obviously, this week. Um, TCU's terrible defensively. Terrible. We, all, we all talk about Gary Patterson, and, and he's been a great defensive coach over his tenure, but their defense is atrocious. So I am optimistic that that number will improve, and, and thus I think they can, can win out going to Bedlam. But you're right, Colby, in that they're not truly built to just run away and hide from people. Although we have seen spurts from Spencer Sanders in a given half, like the Kansas State first half. But uh, you're right. I mean, they have to they have to be more consistent on that side of the ball. And I think Kansas is a, is a get right game for sure. And I, I think those offenses, or rather those defenses that they're going to play. The, the concern for me would be West Virginia, Colby, that that road game. West Virginia's defensive line is still pretty good. I and mean, they, they held OU in check pretty well uh, running the football. And that's kind of what you were talking about and how they're just not going to run away from teams. And that, to me, among the remaining games, that, to me, is the biggest one on the road at West Virginia. Their defensive front's good, and they're going to challenge OSU to, to throw the football. That, that, to me, of all the games not 
not named Oklahoma is my biggest concern. What's yours? That's exactly what I was going to say. I was going to say West Virginia because I think that they are the most capable to slow Oklahoma State's running game down, similar to what Iowa State did. And that makes Oklahoma State rely on the passing game, which is not where they want to live. It's not where they're comfortable. Uh, Oklahoma State wants to do to other teams what it did to Texas, just beat you down for four quarters until you're so tired of tackling Jalen Warren that you just can't do it anymore. I think West Virginia can tackle Jalen Warren for four quarters. So that's the one that's a little dicey for me. For whatever reason, though, Oklahoma State, and and this is speaking historically, and and you can do whatever you want with factoring in in history into games that are happening in the present, but Oklahoma State has dominated West Virginia. And Texas Tech and TCU, those have kind of been coin flip games for Oklahoma State lately. So I I don't know. West Virginia is the one that scares me this year with this makeup. But for whatever reason, Patterson has been pretty decent against Mike Gundy. Uh, and Texas Tech has had some success against Mike Gundy, even with the carousel of coaches that they've had down there. So West Virginia worries me the most. But the history of TCU and Texas Tech certainly perks my ears up a little bit. Yeah, certainly recent history, no doubt. And to my point, Kansas is 10th in defensive efficiency. Texas Tech is 9th. TGFK. Yeah, exactly. Tech is ninth. K-State is eighth. They've already played K-State. TCU seventh, but West Virginia is fourth in uh, defensive efficiency. So that's that's the reason for our level of concern. And their offense is just ahead of OSU's in the offensive rankings is West Virginia. They're eighth, OSU's ninth. So uh, defense, though, the hallmark of Oklahoma State, OSU's ranked first in defensive efficiency with .216. Um, they've, they've bent a little bit against Boise and against the Longhorns and Iowa state, but they've played really well throughout those games. So they're, they're number one by a decent margin because Iowa state is two at 0.256 Baylor, who they've already played third, as I mentioned, West Virginia's fourth Oklahoma surprisingly is fifth, which is somewhat of a shock to me. I think that's more of an indictment of the rest of the league personally, but, um, so that that's kind of what they have left. Basically they've played all but two of the top five or two of the top six uh, defenses because they're first. So OSU Colby though, no surprise they're first, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, this is just our daily show Jim Knowles love segment. Uh, I almost asked, but I figured you were going to get there. Whenever you're saying West Virginia was fourth, I was like, go ahead and throw out number one for me. Go ahead and throw out number one. Let's talk about it. Uh, Cause this defense is so, so good. And I was watching, maybe it was something I saw. I think it was something I saw on pistols firing about Colin Oliver and just how good he has been for Oklahoma State. And we've talked about it. He is so fast coming around the edge that Jim Knowles, even at times when Oklahoma State's not blitzing, they're able to get pressure. One of Colin Oliver's sacks a week ago against Iowa State came on a three-man rush. It was a three-man rush with a spy and then seven back in coverage. And it wasn't really a coverage sack. Colin Oliver got there pretty quick. He roasted the right tackle. So he's been great. Uh, guys on the back end have been great. Tanner McAllister, uh, who, who was – I don't want to say a question mark coming into the season, but just less proven coming into the season. Jason Taylor, who was Trey Sterling's backup, has been phenomenal. I mean, we forget because this defense has been so good. They lost arguably their best player on the back end of the defense in Trey Sterling and arguably their best player on the defensive line in Trace Ford. Haven't missed a beat. Have not missed a beat. They've been even better than they were a year ago. They're great on third down. They're great on fourth down. Uh, you, you know, I love how aggressively they play. They're not doing what Kwiatkowski's doing down at Texas and just lining up in two high safeties every down and inviting you to come uh, march down the field on them. Jim Knowles uh, has a great system, and his players run it to perfection. Very disciplined. We don't see big mistakes. Guys running wide open. Uh, the, the defense 
has become appointment viewing. If you need to get up and go to the bathroom, uh, if you need to go to concession stands, you do it when the offense is on the field, and that's not something I really thought I would ever say about Oklahoma State football. No, you're right, and I'm glad you mentioned Colin Oliver. I was actually listening to uh, my friends at the Sooner Scoop podcast earlier today, and they were kind of bemoaning the fact that OU has taken some kids from more national recruits and lost out on players, and they specifically brought up Colin Oliver in the season he's having. He was you know, a three-star by rivals, I think two or three on 247, depending on where you look. And I, I mentioned this on previous shows where – OU recruiting nationally, which they should do, they should try to go get the highest ranked recruits possible. That's really opened a door for OSU to land big time in-state recruits. And Colin Oliver's proven to be one of the better ones. Trace Ford, you mentioned, also from Edmond Santa Fe, has been was, was great before he got hurt. Hopefully he comes back next year strong. And guys like Brock Martin, who's playing through a dislocated elbow right now. I wanted to bring up some quotes from him, but Colby just OU kind of looking elsewhere to California, Florida, nationally has really helped OSU's in-state recruiting. They're getting some of the best players in the state year in, year out, and you're already seeing that on defense. Jason Taylor from Carl Albert uh, is another guy, and Malcolm Rodriguez from Wagner. So you got to give Mike Gundy credit for for keeping it in-state and, and taking kids that maybe not – he, he probably could have gone and got higher-rated recruits from Texas or, or elsewhere – but the, the in-state recruiting is, is bearing fruit for OSU. Yeah, number one, Mike Gundy must have really good relationships with people at Edmond Santa Fe because that has been an absolute pipeline for Oklahoma State. But I also think it somewhat speaks to the level of high school football in the state of Oklahoma because I think that that has really, uh, I mean, statewide, I think it's drastically increased over the past um, decade, really. I mean, the the level of highly rated recruits. I mean, even look like hey, some guys who leave the state, like Josh Proctor. Josh Proctor leaves the state, goes to Ohio State. He's a star. Dax Hill leaves the state, goes to Michigan. He's a star. The level of high school football in this state, I think, has gotten so, so much better uh, at the high end where you've got higher rated recruits. And th the reality is Oklahoma's still getting some of those guys too, but Oklahoma State is getting more than its fair share of guys. So uh, all you can do is tip your cap to the way they've recruited in-state and to high school football in this state because I do believe that the improvement there has had a big impact. No, it, it really has. I mean, you're seeing more guys year in, year out go to D1s and go to Oklahoma State and, and even Oklahoma as well. So that, that I, I totally agree with that. And I mentioned Brock Martin. You know, he's playing through a dislocated elbow. And he says he gave some great quotes to Jacob Unruh, the Oklahoman. And he, he said that he's had a lot of injuries. He's played through a torn ACL before. And he says the pain for this one just blows the top off everything else that he's experienced. And Mike Gundy joked that he, he forged signatures on his medical release form, which the, the article says he did not do that. But he did try to act his way through the pain when the, the trainers were working on his elbow, asking him about it. And at the end, he kind of relented and said, look, I'm, I'm in miserable pain i'm actually faking it and he said they were they weren't gonna let him play anyway they tried to win an academy award for by by kind of going through the test and not showing any pain that's that's how tough this guy is he's he's really playing through a lot of pain colby and you can see that bionic arm that they've kind of built him to play with but that's an in-state kid fifth year senior he's playing through a ton of pain and playing really well for osu yeah, absolutely. He's been wild and you know gundy joked about donating his body to science after the season and all this stuff it's i don't think and, and I can't even fathom it. I've never played football at that level or, or really at any level competitively. The toll it takes on your body 
to just get back up and do it again every single week and not even every single week. I mean, you're doing it throughout the week and, you know, strength and conditioning is a big part of it, but part of it is just, I mean, these guys are so conditioned and so built mentally and physically to just play through pain that if any of us experienced in our daily lives, it would just be debilitating. You know, I mean, I couldn't go golf with what Brock Martin's dealing with and he's out there playing football uh, and he's doing it at a high level. So uh, all the respect in the world to these guys who can just, play through these injuries and lay it all on the line for their team. Because I don't think we even really fathom what the injuries these guys deal with on a daily basis would do to anyone, uh, any one of us in just our regular lives. So uh, it's pretty impressive what he's been able to do. And I mean, at this point in the season, a lot of guys are playing with nicks and bruises, but his are definitely a little more elevated. Yeah. And we, we come on podcasts and fans talk amongst themselves about performances from players. And we really have no idea what they're going through health wise. And I, I've, as you were talking, I thought back to that kind of hand injury that, that Spencer Sanders had throughout his career, or I think it was last year. Like, for, you're right. For me and you, we probably couldn't even pick up a golf club. He's out there playing quarterback, running around from defensive linemen. And these players basically get in a car crash every Saturday. That's kind of the, the bumps and bruises they get every single Saturday. So Brock Martin's a, a classic example of that. And uh, we are headed down the home stretch here, Colby, and bowl projections are starting to come to light. Obviously, the, the pie-in-the-sky scenario is the Sugar Bowl against the SEC. They say the chances to get there are 12%. They would need one of two things to land there. They need to make the Big 12 title game but lose and have OU make the college football playoff, or obviously OSU would win the Big 12 title game and fall short of the playoff. Do you want Bama? You want Bama in the Sugar Bowl, Colby? Is that something you're, you're interested in? No. In a word. <laughs> I, no, I'm not. It be an Ole Miss redux. Uh, yes, yes. It would look very similar. It's, it's just a different level. I mean, I watch the NFL every week and I mean, last week, Alabama just wrecked the, the New York jets, just destroyed them. It was Mac Jones turning around and handing off to Damian Harris. It was Dante Hightower on the other side of the ball, making the stop. I'm sure they've got some, somebody from Alabama on the offensive line. It's, it's different. It, it's, it's just a roster full of guys who are fixing to play on Sundays. Not, not guys that you're talking about. Yeah, he might be a third-day pick. He, he's been a good player. No, no, no. This is a roster full of guys who are just going to immediately uh, just slide seamlessly into the NFL. It's No, it's not something I want any part of. No, probably not. Although I would, it would be interesting to me to see this defense go up against an Alabama just to see what that looks like. Now, I wouldn't want to see the offense go against Bama's defense uh, for that matter. But it certainly, I mean, you want to make the best bowl possible. You want to be in the Sugar Bowl. That's that's great oh, for, yeah. for everyone. Great trip for the fans. Great great advertisement for the program. But uh, a for, lot for of football. For the record, I'd like the Sugar Bowl. I'd like Bama to be in the playoff away from the Sugar Bowl. Yeah, so like let's say Bama and Georgia both get in. That'd probably be the dream scenario to go to yes. the Sugar Bowl because then you get Ole Miss, A&M, Florida. Okay. Might get, might get old. Yeah, one of those, one of those three most likely would be yeah. the scenario. That's a much more manageable game um, for sure. More likely of the scenario is the Alamo Bowl, um, Big Twelve against Pac Twelve. It's about a thirty-seven percent chance they get there. Shocker! Um, give me the Pac Twelve. Let's let's go beat up on Colorado again. I guess the potential opponents would be Arizona State and Oregon State. That would be just a delicious matchup for OSU. That would be, and again. It's hard to say beat down because this offense doesn't really run away from people, but this team is so much better than either of those teams. It's and, and San Antonio is a fun trip. I've been to the Alamo bowl. It's, it's still water South. 
Um, you know, feels like every other year. I, I would I would love to know how many Alamo Bowls Oklahoma State has made in Gundy's tenure because it's probably not as many as it feels like. It feels like they're down there every other year, doesn't it? It does. It does. And that's that's really become, you know, the, it is the second best bowl for for the Big 12. And it, it didn't it used to be lower on the on the pecking order. I remember back in the day when OSU played Oregon in the, the holiday bowl used to be the, the better and, and the better bowl game and the better trip going to, out to San Diego. But that's just kind of the way the, the bowl pecking order is now with Alamo bowls are a really good spot. And yeah, it's, it's driving distance for OSU. It's um, it's a good bowl game. It really is. So that would be a, a nice landing spot for Oklahoma state. I, I pulled it up. I pulled it up, Carson. How many times in the Gundy tenure do you think Oklahoma state's been to the Alamo bowl? I don't think it's as much as we think. I mean, they played Colorado there once. Is it just twice when they played 97 there, Purdue? Uh, so in the Gundy tenure, it's oh, twice. Tenure. 2010, they played in the Alamo Bowl. Oh, that's uh, right. That, yep, that was the year. And, and Blackman was great in that game before they went to uh, the Fiesta Bowl the next year. I think it was – was it Arizona in 2010? Who did they yeah, play? Yeah, they beat they Arizona. Arizona. And then played them the very next year in 2011. Yep, that's right. Uh, and then 2016 – they went to the Alamo Bowl. Maybe I thought it was more because of how many bowls they've been to in Texas. 19 was the Texas Bowl. 14 was the Cotton Bowl Classic. 13 was the Heart of Dallas Bowl, uh, Cotton Bowl Classic in, I don't know why it's saying 2010 again. Um, and then, yeah, Cotton Bowl Classic in 04. They also went to an Alamo Bowl in 04, and they went to an Alamo Bowl in 97. So only four Alamo Bowls in the last 25 years. I would not have guessed that. No, it's, I, I thought it'd be less than you think, but that's that's still more than I thought for. But um, yeah. so cheese it bowl down in uh, I get chills every time I see Orlando, Florida bowl game. I've had just the worst, worst experiences. Really? Going, oh, my God. Tell the story. OK, so it's the it was called the Russell Athletic Bowl. I think we call it the Russell's <laughs> Russell Athletic Sweatpants Bowl back then. Oh. So you fly to Orlando, and this was just a travel deal. We we sat on the tarmac for three hours while they de-iced the plane. Then we try to land in Orlando, and there's a rainstorm. So we land in Tampa for like an hour, then take back off, and finally we land in Orlando. That's just a one-off flying horrible experience. This is where Orlando stinks. You're flying into the Orlando airport during the Christmas season, during holiday season, December 29th. There are 1 million screaming children awaiting you in the Orlando airport. (laughs) It is, this airport is not built for this kind of traffic. It is hard to get around. The rental car lines are miles long. It is the seventh circle of hell is the Orlando airport. Don't go there during the holiday season. I'm sure people listening to this have and know what I'm talking about. Then we get to the wonderful Russell Athletic Sweatpant Bowl Hotel. They don't have our room. They have, they have no record of us. And, and how do they help us? They say, well, we'll, we'll, the, the bowl reps get on their iPad and try to find us a hotel room. It's during the holiday season. There's no hotel rooms in Orlando. They're all booked. So we're kind of panicked at this point. We're supposed to go live in a couple hours. And long story short, we found one hotel room for the night and we didn't care what it cost. So we stayed there. And then ultimately we, we found another hotel room, uh, later on in, in downtown Orlando. And it was just, it was a nightmare, nightmare trip. And just the, on top of all of that, the bowl game is just poorly run. There's no, 
there's no media help at all. The, there's very little media availability. It's just a very terribly run bowl game. And OU went there too. So all the OU media still talks about it in the same tones I am. It's because it's the same miserable experience. So hopefully for the people that are still in the media, they do not go to the cheese it And the Camping World Stadium, by the way, Colby, is in one of the worst parts of town in Orlando. It's not a safe place to go to a football game as well. So hopefully for the OSU fans, we don't they don't go there because – OSU did play in that a few years ago against Virginia Tech, so I got to experience that bowl more than once. But it stinks. Yeah, I've uh, I've been to Orlando I think four times when growing up, and every time it was to ride roller coasters. So I cannot say I've had a similar experience in Orlando. I find Orlando to be quite fun, but I've never been to cover a football game. So I think I'll pass on that and just go back to ride roller coasters. This is where people are like, listen to the media member whining and complaining, but it, I, it stunk. Uh, I'd rather go to the Texas Bowl in Houston. I think that'd be better for OSU just for recruiting purposes. Obviously, the players probably go to Orlando, so they, they travel a lot better than than I did. But that's another one. That'd be Big 12 against SEC as well. Yeah, Big 12 against SEC would be good. And then, uh, like you said, get into Houston, maybe get some recruits over to the game because you'll be recruiting against future Big 12 foe, the Cougars. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That'd be a Big 12, Big 12 matchup. And it's cool that that one and the Liberty Bowl, all SEC matchups. So while these bowls down the pecking order aren't as good, Colby, you do have the SEC tie-in as well. So that that's good for the league moving forward, I would think. That could mean possibly a Bedlam Bowl game moving forward as well. Uh, it could mean a Bedlam Bowl game. That would be – boy, that would be something. Uh, this year, I think the SEC school, I would most like Oklahoma State to play in a bowl game, is Texas A&M. Just – think maybe Oklahoma State could beat them maybe I don't know the recruiting classes over the last four years weigh heavily in the favor of Texas A&M they would definitely be a very physical matchup but if you could beat A&M and then make fun of them all and make fun of their little cult that they have down there that would be the most fun well we didn't know she just played them recently they played them what two years ago uh did they play them in the mm, I can't remember two years ago it was the Texas Bowl yeah that's right yeah, I can't remember which which year was it the Liberty Bowl? No, they played. No, Missouri. they played Missouri. They they played a and or a and m. Um, you just had the all the bowl games pulled up, didn't you? Go back to that. Yeah, page. Texas Bowl in nineteen was that was a and m a and m yeah twenty nineteen twenty a and m beat Oklahoma State in the uh, Kellen Mond Kellen Mond beat them. Yep. Uh, Braden yeah, Johnson had a long touchdown that game, I remember. So not, some recent history there with Jimbo. They, they want some payback against Jimbo. I'd, I'd like that matchup too. Um, well, Colby, let's pick the game. OSU against Kansas, I guess. Just give me something you're looking for in this game, kind of a key or just something that you're going to have your eye on for this game and then give me a score. Uh, I mean, really, the only thing I'm looking for is Oklahoma State to finally run away and hide. Finally, a fourth quarter where it's just – it's boring. A boring fourth quarter where your heart rate's down, your blood pressure's down, you already know who's going to win the game with 15 minutes left. That's what I'm looking for. If ever there were a time to do it, it is this week against Kansas. Uh, besides week one where they beat South Dakota 17-14, to they've lost 49-22, 45-7, 52-33, 59-7, 41-14, 35-23 last week against OU. That game was a fluke. I think Oklahoma State wins, let's call it 38-13. to They don't cover uh, just because the spread is too big for a team that doesn't score a ton of points. But I'll say 38-13, Oklahoma State finally runs away and hides from an opponent. I love it. Uh, I'm, I'm with you. That's what I want to see. And I, I'd like to see another running back 
get up to 100 yards besides Jalen Warren. I think it's a, a classic game where you can rest Jalen Warren a little more, still have success. I mean, don't tell that to Oklahoma with the way they struggled against Kansas. But I see Dominic Richardson get going, maybe even Desmond Jackson if he's back healthy. We haven't seen LD Brown for a while. I'm not sure his health status coming into this one, but I'd like to see the running game get going besides Jalen Warren carrying the load. That, that's something I'm looking forward to. And, and obviously for OSU, just – play a clean game. The, the penalties have kind of mounted up the last couple of games. Clean game. Don't get anybody hurt. And uh, I'll pick Oklahoma State. Let's see here. God, their offense is just it's just not built to, to do this. But I'll uh I'll go I'll go more conservative. I'll go I'll go 35-13. That's my score. 35-13. I think OSU wins comfortably. They they do pull away in this game and I want to see Dominic Richardson get up close to 100 yards. That's that's kind of what I want to see. See, the only reason I don't think Oklahoma State will finish with 35 is because we know at some point a field goal has to be kicked. It has to. It's the law. It's in the it's in the Constitution. And against Kansas, there will be no pressure in kicking a field goal. So I think it will be made. So that's the only difference. I think we'll get one field goal to get him up to 38. Okay, you make a good case, but I'll. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll have faith that Gundy will go for it against Kansas. <laughs> That's uh, ye of little faith is what I should be. But or, or you could just have faith that the field goal attempt will miss, which is also a possibility. Maybe that's maybe that's what I'm banking on. Although I, I have a little faith in Tanner Brown. I'm, I I think he he did well before the Iowa State game. He's put in a bad position on the 50 yarder, and just hey, sometimes kick, college kickers miss 32 yarders. You know, so yeah. you don't want to put it in their hands too much. But yeah. Uh, let's get to the Chris University Spirit Uniform Preview, brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Colby, they're going to wear throwbacks. What, uh, what, what look do you think they're going to go with here? Yeah, it's, it's tough. I think, for whatever reason, maybe it's Halloween weekend. I don't know. But I feel like we're getting the black shirts this weekend, which I think would look pretty slick on Halloween weekend for homecoming against Kansas. I think... I, I feel like the throwbacks are even tougher to guess because there's not as much to, to go off of. I think we might end up with a white, black, white look with the Cowboys coming across the chest of the jerseys, the old OSU insignia on the side of the helmets. I think, uh, I think black, white, no, pardon me, white, black, white is the look for this week. That'd be cool. I, I'm down for that. And as I was thinking of what they could possibly wear, I mean, I wouldn't mind just seeing the 88 throwbacks every homecoming, but that's kind of boring doing the same thing every year. The two options for me are kind of the Jimmy Johnson era where they wore the black helmet with the old school brand uh, in white and kind of their, their jerseys Colby were almost kind of like a burnt orange back then kind of a more uh, kind of vintage orange Jersey with white pants. That's, that's a look they could go with. They could also go with kind of the Pat Jones era where they wore the white helmet, black jerseys, black pants. Those are kind of the two looks I'm considering. But uh, they like to go true vintage with it. So I'm going to go Jimmy Johnson era. I'll go black helmet, kind of the burnt orange, kind of dull. We don't want to call it burnt orange because of Texas. We'll call it the vintage orange and, vintage uh, and, and white white pants. That's, what, that's the look I'm going with because – and again, you got to give Justin Williams and his equipment staff so much credit. Obviously, the the current uniforms with all the different helmets they've come up with over the years have been have been awesome. But also the, the throwbacks they've just absolutely nailed since introducing those. Uh, yeah, the throwbacks have been elite. And for the record, I, I don't know that you want to see the same thing every year, but I love the ones they wore in 2018 against Texas. The white, orange, white 
so, so good. And, and again, you want to mix it up, but those were elite 10 out of 10 tough to match. Those are hard to beat for sure. So, well, Colby have fun up in Stillwater at homecoming, man. We'll catch up with you next week. Yeah, everyone, please be careful, be safe. There's going to be a lot of people in Stillwater this weekend. Uh, Drive responsibly, drink responsibly, all that good stuff. Have a fun, safe homecoming weekend. And as always, go Pokes. I had one more thing to ask you, actually. Oh, hit me, hit me. Uh, Before we get out of here, Mike Boynton posted a picture. Speaking of Mike Boynton, homecoming and hoops, go check him out at the Beta House. Uh, He posted a picture of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. (laughs) And he used the heel of the the loaf of bread where do you stand on using the heel on a peanut butter and jelly sandwich pro always pro on using the heel i've never even considered it because i just i've always thrown the heel away i thought i thought it was a startling startling omission or admission i didn't realize so many people were anti-heel the heel is honestly good whenever you crack open a uh, a loaf of bread i mean you can just eat the heel just eat it it's I don't know. I've, I've weirdly always liked the heel since I was a kid. So I always use the heel for sandwiches. Sometimes if I want a piece of bread, I'll just eat the heel. Maybe y'all can let me know at Colby J Powell on Twitter. Does that make me weird? Cause I didn't realize so many people were anti heel. I never even, like, to me, it's the texture. I just, I'd rather have the soft piece of bread, not the, not the heel part. That's, that's okay. just me. I thought that was a startling admission. I didn't know this was a thing. I didn't know people actually ate the heels. You're, you're in that group though. So now I know more about you. And, and I knew that some people didn't eat the heels, but some people are like repulsed by the heel. I'm like, I kind of am. Okay. That's kind of interesting. Cause to me, I look at it and I'm like, it's just bread. It's just a little more breading on the exterior of your bread, I guess is how I would describe it. I don't know, but, uh, I'm pro heel. So I'm, I'm lockstep. It's kind of like the last swig of a beer. You should, you, you need that last, all the stuff at the bottom, mm-hmm. you need that stuff at the bottom of a beer or of, of a piece of bread. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if I'm all the way there. On Maybe that. not an apt comparison, but Isaac Likely, by the way, Isaac Likely quoted it and I said and said I knew practice was going to be rough today when I saw Coach was eating the. Uh, I think he called <laughs> it the butt. I think he called it the the bread butt is what he called it. Yeah, the bread butt. I'm with Isaac. Don't eat the bread butt, folks. All right, I'm with all Coach right. Clinton. Have a safe right. coming weekend, everybody. Go, folks.